Well, listen, by now, I think we all get it, right? We need to eat better. We need to get off the couch, get active, and start living life before it's too late. You'd think that would be something motivating enough in itself, but every single one of us needs a push, a prod, a little help once in a while. I'm Bill Shaver with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. In this episode, we'll talk about one of the most powerful sources and forces for motivation. You know what it is? Gratitude. It's just that simple. Gratitude and appreciation, those can change everything, Mark, and you're about to hear how. Yeah, we're going to start with a woman whose uh, story is really remarkable. And not only did she change her life, but she's now reaching out and helping people all across the nation change theirs. You're going to meet Carolyn Blaschick and hear how gratitude took her places she never even dreamed was possible. We'll also hear from the founder of InVenture about how to find your purpose. We're also going to take you out for a 5K run and hear the remarkable story of how entering a race might have saved one man's life. We'll also meet supermodel Paulina Poroskova and find out her secrets to coping with age and what went wrong in her marriage with Cars lead singer Rick Ocasek. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives. This is Growing Bolder. Everybody talks about the importance of gratitude and being grateful. Why is that such a common theme? Well, it's because gratitude can change your life. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Bolder. Now, think about this. You remember when the terrorist attacks hit on 9-11-2001. Do you remember how you felt at that moment, that day? Well, those images burn their way into our hearts, especially of our next guest. She could not shake it. She was driven. She needed to take action, to do something to make a difference. And what she did led her down a path towards creating an organization that has touched the lives of millions of service members and first responders who just need to know that they matter and that somebody cares. The organization is called Operation Gratitude, and its founder is Carolyn Blaschick. How are you, Carolyn? I'm great, Bill. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I I hope I sort of encapsulated the beginning of of how this idea sort of manifested itself with you. And and we think your your story is really important because we all felt like you feel like you. But, you know, most of the time we just settle back down and we go back to our same routine. And I think it's because we just don't realize that one person can make a difference. Well, I I think you're right. And yes, you you very beautifully encapsulated how I felt at that time. And in fact, how I think almost all Americans felt at that time. And, And I think that's the secret behind the success of Operation Gratitude. Um, when you talk about my motivation, I mean, yes, it was, I, I needed to express my own thanks and, in fact, gratitude towards all of those troops who were putting their lives on the line for us and for me. And when I started the organization, I really wasn't thinking about starting an organization. I was just wanting to send care packages as my way of saying thank you on just a very personal level. Um, over the next, over the course of several months of doing it by myself, completely just out of my own home, I started to see that there were 
hundreds, if not thousands, and then millions of Americans who felt exactly as I did. They wanted to say thank you in some way, in a hands-on way, in a really um, overt way, and doing something more than just writing a check to some you know, faceless organization. They really wanted to do something and, and feel like they were doing their part in, in this um, effort. And so really, I just started shepherding this movement along. I mean, it was really the, the thousands of volunteers and Americans who made it who made it actually happen. I mean, three and a half million care packages later, you know, almost 20 years later, I, I certainly couldn't have done that on my own. Let's make this clear too, Carolyn, just so, just so we understand how, how this evolved. So before you did this, how many organizations had you run before? Uh, none. <laughs> I mean, I ran my, my, my home. <laughs> I raised, right, I raised my kids. Isn't that something? Because we all sort of think in our minds, well, it's she must be someone who's had a ton of experience in this industry or in this, you know, in this direction. But where were you in your life at that time? Where were you when nine eleven happened? And and what what were you thinking? That where did you think this would go? <laughs> uh, well, where where I was is, I mean, I had two teenage kids when I started Operation Gratitude. My daughter was heading off to college, and my son had just gotten keys to a car and uh, a credit card, so he was going to be pretty independent. I had really, I, I had been a lawyer at a very early stage of my life, or adult life, but then I had really been a full-time mother uh, for many, many years, and, you know, involved in school things and community things, but nothing <laughs> of the sort uh, that Operation Gratitude became. And um, when I when I started, I really, as I say, I, I just wanted to express my own appreciation. And I think like most of us, no one thought that the war was going to keep going and going and going and going. I mean, we did not expect it to turn into one of these forever wars. And um, I thought this would just be the next six months of my life <laughs> of sending care packages. I had no idea that it was going to turn into. And it, and it really became a year-by-year year thing. Every, every year I say, okay, I guess this is going to keep going. So, you know, let's get packages out to them in the spring and let's get for sure let's get packages out to them for the holidays you know the the other part of it is no good idea comes without a whole list of roadblocks and obstacles and challenges that inevitably pop up and and i'm guessing that must have happened with you too huh oh absolutely (laughs) there were so many there were logistical problems there were obviously financial problems there were problems getting the items there were bureaucratic and, and regulatory problems. I mean, there were always, always all kinds of issues. So did you get overwhelmed? Did you start thinking, what, what, what have I done? What have I created here? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but there, there were a few things that really helped me get through those obstacles. On a, on a sort of a tactical level, um, I had kind of partnered with a, um, my, a military member, Staff Sergeant Elizabeth Cowie, who was the person at the National Guard Armory who first invited me in, um, who I first started talking to about this. And she had this great motto that she taught me that was really sort of my guide star, which was, no is not an acceptable answer. Um, find the way to yes. So on a tactical level, I'm like, every time I hit up against a, a, a roadblock, and somebody would say, no, you can't do that. I was like, yeah, well, we're going to find a way to do it. So, so that was that on a um, tactical level. On a more emotional level, you know, I always thought to myself, 
whatever difficulties I'm facing just pale in comparison to what the troops are facing and certainly the sacrifices that they're making. So that was always a major motivation for me. And then really in my most difficult or or worst moments where I really felt like I, I just can't do this another moment inevitably the most amazing letter would come in either by a hard copy or by email from a troop who had just received our care package. And it would just hit me so hard of how important what we were doing was and that it really was making a difference to, to their lives. And that would always then put me over whatever hump I was at and uh, get me to keep going. Carolyn, I, I cannot imagine the impact that your organization has on on individuals on on ordinary everyday people can can you help us understand like what some of those letters w- would say you know what what kind of an impact are you making uh yes it, there's definitely an impact um and even to this day you know and, and I do want to stress that this wasn't just you know back in those early days but even to this day what's so interesting is that the feedback we get from the troops or from their family members is is very consistent and the first is many don't receive anything else besides our care packages and those beautiful letters especially from children or from uh, you know just Americans um that say thank you to them and it it's important for them to understand, even if they do get things from their family members or their own loved ones, knowing that it, the American people in general recognize and, and remember them and appreciate what they're doing. And some of the specific kinds of letters, I mean, there was one that was so powerful that came in from a staff sergeant who I worked with in terms of getting names and addresses from him of the, the troops that he was uh, in charge of. And he wrote to me that a year after one of our package drives and said, I can now tell you that your, one of your care packages actually saved the life of one of my Marines. And that was because he, it turned out they found out that he had been contemplating suicide on Christmas Eve one year. And our packages all arrived that night. And there were letters in them from total strangers who just, you know, were thanking him and saying how much they appreciated what this service member was doing. The package was addressed to him by name. And so he felt it very personally. And in reading those letters, that service member realized, wait, you know, there, there is, there is hope and there is reason for what I'm doing. And people do recognize and, and acknowledge me. And it, and it saved his life. And he then sought help from the chaplains. And um, a year later, he was doing great. He'd gotten promoted. He'd gotten engaged. I mean, he had re-engaged in life and he got engaged to, to get married. So it really, you know, it, 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 letters like that are so, so powerful. And we continue to receive them. Carolyn, it's all because you, you expressed a little bit of gratitude. I mean, it's it's amazing how powerful that is. Can, can you t- t- so let's talk about gratitude. How, how do you define it, and, and why do you think it's just so important? Yeah, that's it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, I always felt like the best thing I ever did in terms of the organization was figuring out the name because it really said it all. What is gratitude? I mean, I think it's a, it's a very, very deep sense of appreciation for what we have, what we are able to do, for the freedoms that we have. And I think it's combined with a, a real humility um, and a faith to recognize that all that we have and all that we can do and all the freedom we have is our, our gifts from others. 
whether it's from other people, whether it's from something from above, you know, whatever people's beliefs are in that regard, but it's a very humbling feeling. And I think it's, it's critical to have it to have a, a fuller, much fuller life and uh, to, take, to take us outside of ourselves and take us outside of our own heads to understand that there is just this much greater world um, that we're a part, that we're just a small part of, but we need to be, we need to appreciate our, um, all that we're given from it. I'm sure too, Carolyn, that it's not lost on you that that most people who express gratitude in in some official way or in some formal way feel like, well, I'm doing something for somebody else. Can you talk about what it feels like to be the one who is helping to change somebody else's life or just, you know, give somebody a pat on the back every now and then or a little encouragement? Well, I guess the the only way to describe or explain it is, is to sort of turn that around and, and say how I know how I feel when people thank me. So one of the interesting things is the, the kind of feedback that we got. I mean, it was obviously the troops, you know, thanking us and their letters are just so beautiful and so meaningful and letters from their family members. But one thing that I found really interesting that, that really kind of turned my head around as to what the organization was about early on that it wasn't just about saying thank you to the troops and how they felt, but it was also giving all of these American people um, and, and our volunteers the opportunity to say thank you. So at the, when we would do these big um, care package assembly events at, at our facility, at the time it was the National Guard Armory, and there would be hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who would come in at the end of the day, I would always try to be at the door to say to thank them all, you know, as they leave, as they would leave, I would try to you know, shake their hands, thank them for being there and helping us out. And every single person would say, no, 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 thank you for giving me this opportunity. And it was such a powerful moment for me to understand that this really was a, a, something much bigger, you know, and that receiving thanks like that is, is so powerful. And so, you know, what we're doing is almost a continuous loop saying thank you and then receiving the thanks and feeling so good about it, wanting to keep thanking. The troops feel like they should be thanking us, but no, we're thanking them. And, and it's, just, it's, it's just a very beautiful feeling on both sides. I, I can't imagine what this ride has been like for you. I, I'm sure you had no clue when you started what path your life was going to go on and how different everything was going to be from then to this day. H- how are you different? Carolyn now than you were before? How am I different? Well, I mean, you, you were so right that it was a complete journey. Um, and it was a wonderful journey. It was a bit of a roller coaster journey at times. Um, but it was, it was wonderful. And I, I feel incredibly blessed that I got to be such a, a, a big part of it and um, that I was in the midst of it all for, for so many years. And I mean, the people that I was able to meet and uh, just the relationships that I was able to develop, um, the feelings I was able to have, it, but even more so the uh, expressions that I was able to give. Um, I, I feel like I, I really was just the luckiest person ever to uh, just fall into this moment. And I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what can we learn from what you've seen, from what you've experienced, from what you've been through? What, what have you learned about life that you can share with us that, that's really important? 
Well, there's, there's two things. Again, there's sort of the practical thing, and then there's more, more ephemeral thing. But I think on a practical level, one thing I learned is that I was able to send, you know, a fair amount of care packages by myself. You know, I think the first six months I did 650 packages completely alone, you know, out of my own home. But then by opening this up and welcoming in others to help me and, and to do it with me and to become the engine of it all, that doing something in in numbers more than geometrically increases the output. And so, you know, I couldn't have done three and a half million care packages even over the 20 years um, by myself. But with the millions of Americans who participated, we were able to really accomplish amazing things. So that's the first thing that I would say that I've learned. The second thing is that passion and gratitude are amazing motivators. And um, that's what pushed me forward. That's what I think pushed all those volunteers. And and especially in those early days when it was completely a volunteer organization and and people would literally wake up in the morning and go to our facility just to, and just spend their entire days there working so hard. And it was all out of a sense of gratitude and a passion for the cause. And it's amazing what can happen when you feel passionate. Hey, that's it. It really is incredible. It, it things just open doors open in front of you every step you take. There's a new set of opportunities, a new set of challenges, and, and it really can push you forward. So let me ask you this: from all this is, that you've experienced and all that has happened, what what's next for you? What's next for Carolyn? Oh, that I don't know. <laughs> I mean, right now, Carolyn's seeing you know a, a daughter, a wife, a grand um, a grandmother, uh, a mother. And a, and a senior advisor <laughs> to Operation Gratitude. I'm not doing it, you know, full-time anymore. Um, I'm always, listen, when Operation Gratitude started, it, it came out of nowhere. You know, it wasn't planned. It just, it, it came to me, it came, you know, and I believe that's always the next step too. So I'm, my, my eyes and ears and, and heart is always open. And you step back, it's like one of your kids, right? You step back and you say. Oh, completely. Oh, it's a baby. It's my baby. It, it operate. It can operate, you know, independently now, right? You can stand there sometimes and watch it from afar and hope it does okay. Oh, exactly. And, you know, maybe it'll fall. Maybe it'll rise. Maybe, you know, it'll have the bumps just like our kids did. And, uh, you know, it, it grows that way and it learns. And I learned from it as well. And, uh, you know, everything will progress. I mean, it looks very different today than it did when we started it almost 20 years ago. And that's a good thing. You know, that's progress. And that always has to happen. I mean, sometimes it becomes a little emotional for me, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of nostalgia. And I still get together with a lot of the original volunteers from, from uh, back in 2003, 2004 years. And, you know, we, we love reminiscing about how we were just a scrappy bunch of volunteers and uh, that just were so driven by our passion and our sense of gratitude. Well, what you did and what you went through is so interesting, not just because you did it, but because it it kind of speaks to all of us that that we all have ideas. We all have visions in our head, and then we'll let them go by the wayside. We'll say, well, I probably couldn't do that, or who am I to do this? But you really show us that you don't have to do everything by yourself. If you just take a couple steps forward, it's amazing how many people will come out to help as well, gratitude especially. Is something that we all need to express. And if you'd like to learn more about the organization Carolyn founded, 
Check out OperationGratitude.com. Carolyn, what a great story of caring and giving and inspiration. Amazing what can happen when you live life by following your heart. Coming up, a conversation with Paulina Porskova. She'll tell us how one of the most successful supermodels of all time is coping with the changes of age and how she's dealing with the stunning betrayal of her husband, former lead singer of The Cars, after his death. That's next on Growing Boulder. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. Hey everybody, I'm Bill Schaefer, and I want to start out by telling you that here at Growing Boulder, we hear from a lot of publishers all the time, telling us about the latest books they've released and how much our audience would love it if we would interview the author. And sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're not. But this one, this book really took us by surprise. Written by one of the top supermodels of all time, she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. She was a face of Estee Lauder, one of the highest paid models in the industry. But the book isn't what I thought. It's not one of those, I'm famous and I'm interesting and here's how you can be like me. This story is deep. It's relatable. It's cautionary. And it's full of life lessons for us all. It's called No Filter, The Good, Bad, and the Beautiful. Let's say hi to its author, Paulina Poriskova. Paulina, how are you? Hey, I am good. And thank you so much for that lovely introduction. I really appreciate that. You know, and, and we have to thank you, too, because I did not expect what was between the covers of this book. Because for someone who, I guess, spent their career trying to look as good as possible, I mean, you, you point right at some of the things in your life that don't look so good. And even with the title, No Filter, isn't that kind of an insult as in Paulina? Oh, yeah, No Filter. She'll say anything. Why did you choose that title and what made you write the book? Well, I think actually you just answered your own question exactly because of that. No filter. Look, I've been unfiltered my whole life. Um, As in the way I relate to people, I have been sometimes uh, brutally, sometimes painfully, sometimes stupidly honest. Um, And I just, I I believe in that. I believe in truth. I believe in honesty. Um, And I've always been filtered by other people. So, you know, before the advent of social media, the only way to be heard was sort of through other people. There would be journalists that would uh, interview me and then sort of shape it to fit their narrative of what they wanted their story to be. And and that has been my entire life, somebody else shaping the narrative of who I am, uh, a, a sort of a public perception of who I am, which, first of all, it, you know, it's a, a paper doll. I mean, I was just a one-dimensional image. And when I got to speak, it was always filtered. So um, this is me speaking from my heart, unfiltered, the way I really am, with no middleman. This is the, you know, it's the real me. Hey, Paulina, there's honesty and then there's openness. And the two don't always have to be the same. But the reason that I'm so glad you wrote this book is because I think so many men and women, but mostly women, You're such a great example for things that people feel anyway in their own lives. 
but but ten times more because you were in an industry that that's so dependent on your physical appearance. But every, doesn't all, all women go through this? They they lose confidence. They wonder if maybe everybody's right. I'm not worth as much as I was when I was younger, or why aren't I as as popular as I used to be? I can't understand how you could possibly deal with that. Well, that's a part of the story. Actually, is is the invisibility that we older women encounter when we no longer look young and smooth. And so then we have we have three options, actually. I thought two options, but we have three options. We can either make ourselves look younger so that we don't get uh, pushed away from the main table because there's, there's so many choices now that we actually can go back to looking younger. Uh, we can accept our invisibility and just sort of quietly retire into a corner where it seems that is where society wants us. Um, or we can um, embrace who we are and what we are and, 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 and shout and say, I am not, I am not ready to be invisible. I'm in my prime now. You might think it, it was back when my face was perfectly taut and plump and smooth, but no, with all the knowledge that I've acquired in my life and everything that I've done, I'm in my prime now. So there. That's so great to hear you say, but I, I think there's two factors here. One, there's the message that society is sending you that, no, you're not worth what you used to be. But, but probably the most dangerous and the most damaging one is the one that comes from your own head. That when you look in the mirror, you go, oh, man, maybe I'm, I'm not what I was. I, I'm not confident anymore. I'm not so self-assured. Maybe I'll stay home, you know. For, it's this, not this. from your own head. I don't think any of us look up. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, the way you feel about yourself, obviously, is something that started long, you know, in, in your childhood, the way that you're shaped by your parents and, and by your peers, uh, which very often tell you that the way you look is one of the most important attributes for a woman. So it starts very early on. But we don't just decide, we don't live life and, and, and become mothers and wives and, and do everything that we do. And then one day look at ourselves and go, um, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm just, a, you know, I've aged out of being viable. It's society that tells us that we are not. We become invisible to people on the street. And I'm not just talking like, you know, man to woman, uh, although that, of course, that's there too. But just we start becoming pieces of furniture or wallpaper or something. And that is a societal imposition. That is not a choice that we make when we look in the mirror. Now, now your book is great, and it's it's so much more interesting than I expected. I, I sort of knew your story, but I guess I really didn't, because I'm sure I would have recognized you in the early 80s, but I really didn't know your name until we learned that the lead singer of The Cars, the, the great band The Cars, that Rick Ocasek was to marry this supermodel, Paulina. I think you were like 19 when you met. He was 40. Right. And you were on top of the world. Did you sort of have that feeling in the back of your head? There was really nowhere to go but down. I mean, what was life like then? You guys were soaring. It was kind of a marvelous, wonderful, exciting um, and and also uh, scary time because, you know, I had fallen madly in love with this man. And so, you know, when you're in love, um, Hormones take over and, and the world is a magical place. And we were in love for a long, long time. So uh, it was a magical place for a long time. We, in fact, we were so much in love that we uh, 
prioritized each other over pretty much everything else. Um, both of our careers suffered a little bit in, in, in the aftermath, but we had what I thought was the most important thing to me, which was love. Well, here's the stunning part. You're with him for 35 years, which in celebrity relationships, I think that's like five lifetimes. The mother of his children. You say you were probably headed for divorce at the end, but you were still close. So much so that you're the one that found him when he passed away. But that might not have been as big a shock as to how he betrayed you. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, his death was the biggest shock of my life. The betrayal sort of came on the heels of the shock of his death. So I couldn't process it at first. So, I mean, obviously what happened? Yeah, he, he had surgery, uh, which went very well. It was uh, stage zero cancer. So it, it was, you know, it was fixed pretty, pretty easily. Uh, he was at home recuperating. I was taking care of him because, yeah, we still lived together. And I thought we were friends and family forever and that this is the way we were going to stay, even though we were going through the proceedings of the divorce. And I thought we were navigating the end of our relationship in the best possible way with, with love and with, with trust. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, I was uh, a little surprised when uh, his will, which had been written so that it was made public, they could have also taken the way of keeping it secret, in which case I would have probably not been talking about it. But they made it public and it was a lie because Rick in the will said my wife is not entitled to any part of my um, estate because she abandoned me, which was such a obvious lie. Why he did it, what happened there, I'll never know. So I have to make uh, peace with the fact that I will never know that I can't ask him. I can't say what the hell were you thinking? But you know, between the grief and 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 the trauma of of setting down a cup of coffee next to him to wake him up, and then realizing he was uh, uh, not really there anymore. Uh, and then the will a few days later, I was in, in I was in such a state that I, I honestly, I, I, I have such a spotty memory of that first year that I can't even really tell you, um, you know, I just have like, uh, it's, it's a sea of mud of memories. I can't really remember it all, all that well. And Paulina, it, it just pulls you down to the quicksand, right? Because everything in your, that you had in life is yanked out from under you, not just Rick. I mean, the industry doesn't like 50-something-year-old supermodels. You have no career, no money, thank you, Rick, uh, no college or even high school, right? You're shaken, yeah. you're lonely, isolated, grief-stricken, heartbroken. Oh, my God, how, how is anybody supposed to dig out of that? And then comes COVID, <laughs> yeah. just to add insult to injury. And then I can't even have the comfort of my friends. Oh my God. And then your story kind of also goes into mental health, right? And how hypocritical we are about it. Like when they put you on antidepressants, which you were ashamed of. And Mm. I guess you probably should have been because when word got out, everybody treated you like you were some kind of psycho. What what are your thoughts on, on seeking help and on medications and just the state of mental health? Oh my God. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's so important. And I think COVID showed us that too. It showed us how, you know, how fragile we are as, as human beings. Um, and I think this is in part why I shared so much of my own fragility with other people, because we were all fragile and, and I, and it's not talked about often enough, you know, people 
people want to keep up a facade that that they're okay, that they're fine. Because if you are vulnerable, then you know you you also risk getting shot down, obviously. Which uh, you know, uh, I shared my vulnerabilities on Instagram, and I got a, a lot of support, which is kind of what I think kept me afloat for some pretty hideous times. But at the same time, there would be people going, well, you need to up your meds. You are, you know, you need to change therapists. Uh, lady, you're a narcissistic um, old cow. Like, you know, we, we don't care how you feel. You think you're so special. I mean, and when you're hurting already, that's not super helpful to hear. <laughs> and let's let's not just dwell on, on that because the book, folks, you really do need to check it out. But we're talking to somebody here. Yes, you had a great career as a model, but you've done a bunch of movies. You you've done a lot of TV. You're a great writer. I think you've even written a novel. In life, all of us, all of us need a what's next. So, what's next for you? Uh. That's a really good question. I have absolutely no idea. I am, I feel like I'm, you know, you know how you, when you first come of age and the world is wide open to you and you're filled with hope because you're going to go out there and conquer the world and find love and, and have a house and have a family or amazing career or whatever it is that you, you want to do. Um, and I'm, like second coming of age. This is it. Like my life was wiped down. Somebody gave me an unexpected gift and burnt my house down to the ground. And so I have to build myself a new one. The difference is that this time I have the tools and I know what kind of house I want. Well, that's that's some gift, Pauline. I sure hope that I'm not on your Christmas list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Your, your whole life you've been looked at, and this is a, a, a real attempt to be listened to. So tell us, what do you want to say? What's your message, your, your warning for us? Um, I don't have a warning, and I don't even necessarily have a message. I am just, I'm sharing myself because I know how awful it feels to be isolated and absolutely alone. And feel like no one hears you and no one cares. And when I was in that time, I was looking to like little points of light that to me were books of, of people that had maybe gone through something painful, something similar. They were my little anchor points of, of, of hope that, that you could overcome, you know, that this was a bad time, but that you, you could get out of it. Other people had. And that's all I wanted to do with this book was be a little point of light for other people who might feel some of the same things that I do. Wow. Well, that's great. And you sure did that and more. And I'm telling you, this is a great read. Even her childhood, she was caught up in international intrigue between Czechoslovakia and Sweden, living with her parents, her grandmother, then her parents, then moving to Paris to model at 15, and then so much more about being a wife, struggling in a flawed relationship, being a mother and figuring out how to reinvent yourself in your 50s so that the years to come can be some of the very best. It's a roller coaster ride filled with honesty, openness, and a whole lot of wisdom. It's called No Filter. And our thanks to Paulina Poroskova. Much luck, Paulina. Up next, we all know that running is a great way to get and stay in shape. Well, you're going to meet a man who says it very well might have saved his life. That's next on Growing Boulder. 
Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. Well, one of the best things you can do for your health is to get active. You know, it doesn't take much to start. Just walk out the front door, go for a run, and little by little, you kind of build up your strength and your stamina. And hey, Mark, before you know it, you could even call yourself a runner. You know, the truth is, Bill, we are all born to be runners. It's in our genes. It's in our DNA. And you will see that, you know, if you have this thought that all people who run in your local 5K races are big-time athletes, you will be surprised to know that most are just like you and me. There are people just trying to improve their overall health and well-being, but there is another benefit. Running can also reveal problems, sometimes serious issues, and maybe even save your life. The Track Shack Running Series is in Castleberry, Florida for the Battle of the Bands 5K. It's always a runner's favorite because local bands positioned throughout the course compete against one another, rocking out to inspire runners and walkers to keep going. Let's go! 63-year-old Frank Carter needs no additional inspiration. Running in the Growing Boulder Division, powered by Florida Blue Medicare, Frank ran this race one year ago, and as soon as he finished, he knew that something wasn't right. I got finished, I had a decent time, and I sat on the curb right over here, and 10 minutes later, I'm still trying to recover. And I looked at my girlfriend and I said, Fran, you know, I don't, something's wrong, I just don't, I don't feel good. Three weeks later, I was in the hospital, and two weeks after that, getting chemo. Frank had mantle cell lymphoma, a rare blood cancer with a low survival rate. He was facing what would be not only the battle of his life, but literally a battle for his life, and he was prepared. In the last three years, I, I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Last year, before I got sick, I rode a bicycle from San Diego to New Smyrna Beach. So I'm used to those kind of long-term tough things. The last year has been a major grind, a roller coaster ride of uncertainty. I've gone through 15 rounds of chemo and some incredible science called CAR T transplant. CAR T is a recently approved living therapy in which a patient's T cells, a type of white blood cells, are removed and genetically reprogrammed to target, attack, and kill cancer cells long after they've been infused back into the body. The uh, journey that he's been through in the last year has just been absolutely incredible to, to, the, to know that he's back here again. It, it, it was, it's been a lot. And he's such a strong, strong person, and he's someone to really be admired. Accompanied by his girlfriend, children, and grandchildren, Frank wears a T-shirt that says Frank won, cancer zero, indicating that he's still here one year past his devastating diagnosis. He starts the race walking alongside his daughter, who's pushing his granddaughter in a stroller. He intended to walk the entire distance, but the thrill of being back, the gratitude for being alive, and the excitement for many more years ahead quickly turns his walk into a jog and his comeback into a success. 
3.1 miles later, he runs across the finish line, arms held high, smiling from ear to ear. The comeback has begun and the celebration will continue. I just put together last week a list of 60, 70 people going to have a party at my house. And it literally is a thank you party for those people. So the village is real. What's it mean to you to, to see him come full circle and be back at this race? You're trying to make me cry. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible to see him healthy and to look great again. And he's our rock. He's everything. He's, he means the world to all of us. What have you learned from him? Perseverance, for one. You know, he's the kind of guy that never gives up on anything. And his positive attitude has brought everybody along with him. And no one's ever felt anything negative. Everyone's always had this hope, this positivity. That's what he portrays to everybody. What does today mean to you? It's everything. To see him here, to see him back, to see him finish this race, it just means everything because we weren't sure for a while. It's, I love this man to death. Frank is in remission now, and the next year is critical to beating cancer for good. Before leaving, he and Fran returned to the very curve that they set on one year ago, the one where he knew something was wrong, the one where a battle for his life began. It's a touchstone of sorts, a place to pause and be grateful for family, friends, and incredible health care, a place to acknowledge the power of persistence and the gift of each day. I'll be back every year with the same shirt on, but the score up here is going to change. This one's not changing, not going to get me. So, yep, going to keep coming back. I'll be here for a long time, every year. Yep, good stuff. You know, there really is so much to unpack in that story, but maybe the most important of all, to me at least, is the importance of having friends and family surrounding you, encouraging you, being there for you, and lifting you up when you need help, because we all are going to need it at one time or another. People, your social circle can be powerful medicine in and of itself. And if you give it a chance, you will find the running community in your area to be as supportive as any you'll ever find. Well, let's take a dip now into the Growing Boulder archive. One of my favorite things to do today, we're going to hear from Dr. Thomas Pearls. Dr. Pearls is an MD and a PhD, a best-selling author, a renowned researcher in the study of aging at the Boston University Medical School. And he's also the founder and director of the New England Centenarian Study, which is one of the longest-running and largest studies of centenarians and their family members anywhere in the world. So we asked Dr. Pearls what active centenarians have in common. What is their fountain of youth? People think, oh, maybe it's one kind of fountain of youth gene or environmental factor. I think they're rare because they get a combination of relatively common things just just right. And for some of us, I would say for many of us, that means uh, not smoking, not being fat, good exercise, um, managing stress well, that's a lot of what the centenarians have in common. It's almost doing everything your mother told you to do except clear your plate, plus <laughs> maybe a few special genes. How have marriages and social relationships fared through these long lives of centenarians? 
That's a funny one. The uh, women, uh, and I guess that's a bit sad, actually, they tend to have not been many been married for uh, many years, having lost their husbands when they were in their 70s or 80s. The men, on the other hand, are almost always married. And interestingly, <laughs> uh, a lot of the centenarian women were never married. And it almost makes you think, to get to 100, the women should do without the men, and the men should definitely have the women. The Seventh-day Adventists, uh, separate study from ours, they, they have a religion that dictates they need to take very good care of themselves, otherwise it's a sin. And they have the highest average life expectancy in this country at 88 years. And how do they do that? They're vegetarian, they exercise daily, they don't smoke, they don't drink, though maybe a little alcohol is good for you. And they spend their weekends really doing a good job of being with family and time with God, which I think helps them manage their stress well. So if the rest of us did something fairly similar, managing stress, staying lean, exercise, not smoking, most of us should be able to get to our mid to late 80s, and they are adding healthy years to their lives, not unhealthy ones. So they're doing what the centenarians do, which is to compress the time that they're sick towards the end of their lives. That's what I think people should be doing. They shouldn't be thinking some fantastical thing about living to a 1,000. Um, they shouldn't be waiting for some magic pill. They just need to be doing those things, and I think we'll see a huge improvement in the overall health of our society. Up next, the importance of having purpose in your life and how to figure out what it is if you're not sure. This is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble to neglect. Of course, every one of us is getting older, but that doesn't mean that any of us have to actually get old. So how can we grow bolder instead of simply getting older? It starts by having purpose in our life. Purpose is fundamental to our health, our longevity, and even to our happiness. Richard Leiter is the founder of InVenture. It's an organization that helps folks unlock their purpose. And here's why he believes purpose is the pathway to becoming the person you're meant to be. Purpose is fundamental. What does this mean? Well, uh, when I was doing a PBS special, I was visiting neuroscience labs across the country and listening to people talk about purpose and health, purpose and well-being, purpose in the brain, purpose and longevity. One of those people in the neuroscience labs, a very eminent neuroscientist, held up a pill and he said, Richard, you want to buy this pill? And I said, well, what does it do? And he said, well, it helps with dementia and quality of life. It helps with sleep apnea and it helps with reduce the incidence of macroscopic stroke by 41%. And he said it adds seven to 10 years to your life. Would you buy the pill? I said, well, of course, who wouldn't? And he said, well, it's available and it's free and it's called purpose. And then he went on, smiled and he said, and it's true. We now know that purpose is self-evident. We can measure it in the brain. We can measure it in all kinds of, of neuroscience measurements. And uh, so it won't be long until your physician, your primary care doctor is going to say, 
you need a reason to get up in the morning. You need to have a purpose because we now know that that attitude, that mindset is so important and fundamental to life, not a luxury. You know, I think the big takeaway there, folks, is it's never too late to ask, who do you want to be when you grow up? That was Richard Leiter on Unlocking Purpose in Your Life. And if you'd like more information, just go to Richard Leiter, that's L-E-I-D-E-R dot com. You know, we all do have a purpose, and it doesn't always take that much to find it. Like, for example, Mark, your purpose is to wrap up this radio (laughs) show by telling us what's on your mind, an issue or topic that you want to call our attention to. You know, uh, I get asked all the time from people is, why does your message resonate so much? Why do we have so many followers on Facebook uh, on this radio show? And, and I think a lot about that. And, you know, why is our engagement, Bill, on Facebook three times that of AARP and 15 times that of the Oprah Winfrey Network? And, and folks, I think it's because what we've done here today, we acknowledge the truth about aging, the unvarnished truth about aging. We don't ignore the struggles. Life can be very, very difficult for all of us. We're all going to have setbacks. Uh, but we also look at the good side of aging, the opportunity of aging. And, you know, when you look at the good and you look at the bad and you shove it through the strainer of life, when you throw it into the blender of life, when you look at it through the prism of life, really what comes out the other side is opportunity. Nothing more, nothing less. The opportunity to give up, to give in, or the opportunity to keep moving forward. And, Bill, what we know in the stories that we tell uh, is that it's possible to extract joy uh, out of life, even if you're not 100% healthy until the very end. And I think that's why our message resonates, because it's not Pollyannish thinking about growing older. It's, it's the real unvarnished truth. It's bad. It's good. It can be better if you want it to be. And the more you strive to make it good, the more you do things that are good for you, the lesser the bad times are, or at least you're giving yourself a better chance at fighting through. You know, we all know people that have gotten old poorly, that end up sitting surrounded by four walls and don't feel like going out, don't feel like learning. They're not curious about what's going on. And it's very sad, and we all sit around, and really the best blessing we can all have is hoping that never happens to us. And I think you'll find these threads running through everything we do, folks, and and they were certainly in this program, the importance of purpose, the importance of passion, and the critical importance of surrounding yourself with a community of people who can support and encourage you. There you go, folks, aging can actually be one of the best times of your life. All you have to do is get out there, live your life to the fullest, and start growing bolder. The Growing Bolder radio show is a production of Growing Bolder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Bolder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.